What is your superpower? I'd probably say my creativity. Knowing nerdy trivia. My superpower is being a good listener. Devising a million questions. Helping people. Making people laugh. My superpower is that I'm determined and never give up. I'm Harrison Lane, coordinator of the TAP program, here with Maristem's executive director, Aaron Sherman. What's up, Harry? How's it going today? All right. How are you? Pretty good. I know last time we were talking about maybe having Shay on the podcast. That's not going to happen today. Uh, but I think we got a good topic to explore with the community. What? Uh, yeah, you want to jump in? The way it? that this works, we're always going to tell you who's coming on and they're never going to show up. No. <laughs> but the, when we, if we, if we do have somebody confirmed, we will let you know. But these are people that we are going to be having on the podcast at some time. But you'll always see me and you'll always see Aaron. Um, I think today we wanted to talk about, last time we talked about taking response two-way street with the job seeker, with the student at Marisol, just a two-way street between them and people that are they're helping them. Um, but I wanted to step back and actually talk a little bit about, and I'll tell you where I get, so a little first of all, maybe a few different things, traits. Um, the first thing, we talk about autism because we do focus on autism, but we don't only focus on autism. There are a lot of people that don't have autism. And if you um, look into it, actually you find that the number of people are underdiagnosed and so they're having other situations and conditions. Um, I'm not a psychologist by any means, but uh, from my personal experience and the, we, so we've spoken to dozens of people across the state of California. We've presented to many groups that deal with this. And so we, we have a small understanding. It, I feel like it's very small. Always have to say that. Um, and each person is different. So I'm going to discover, like somebody was just telling me last week about a, a syndrome that I'd never heard of before, you know. So I'm always learning. But the one thing is to understand what is neurodiversity. For those of you that don't know, we, we see an, an IDD that's an intellectual developmental disability. That means that in the brain, things aren't always matching up and they're not always connecting. I mean, autism speaks, uses the puzzle piece. Yeah. Whatever your feelings there, but it is like the puzzle, the pieces aren't matching. Uh, when you talk about an auditory processing disorder that a lot of the people that I have met with actually have it, it's where they can't do they can't, they hear something and they can't process it. They're misinterpreting information. So that could mean many different things in the workplace. They could be misinterpreting what their manager is saying. They're not understanding it. Um, people have problems with math, basic numerical. Well, if they get a accounting job, that could be a problem. There's just different things, but, it, but it's a wide spectrum. Even people that have dyslexia and ADHD are considered to be neurodiverse. Yeah. Um, so it's a wide range, but I thought we would talk about a little about that and a little about it. Um, the idea of understanding somebody, understanding a lot of people that we have, um, and Aaron could share, like just the fact is we have a lot of people at Maristow that for me, cause I'm a little bit. And they use the word higher functioning. So many people with neurodiversity are going to be putting in the comments. We, we really need to disable the comments for this podcast episode because they're going to be like, you can't you say that? You can't say that. I don't know what to say, by the way. 
So I hope I don't offend anybody by saying the wrong thing. If you are having a neurodiversity or autism or whatever. Um, but a lot of people we find that have outbursts. Uh, I embarrass them, right? I mean, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll have, like he said, like Aaron, you said, we all have Shay on at some point. Or maybe even another instructor, like in the middle of class, they're having these outbursts. And from my understanding, it's like, if you don't understand why they're doing like, you can't correct the behavior if you don't understand why they're having the behavior. Right on. What are your feelings about somebody having an outburst? So, and, 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 and these people could be 25, 28 years old having an outburst in the middle of an art class. Yeah. Well, it's great because like, last time we were talking about uh, two-way street and how important that is between uh, an employee and an employer, particularly coming uh, from the neurodiverse background, right. uh, going into the, the workforce and you know making sure that there's both an environment that's set up for me to be successful and I'm willing to be able to, you know, make some changes and adjustments to kind of meet the accommodations that have been uh, that have been put in place for me. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, like in Maristem, as you're bringing up behavior, like one of the, one of the things we try to do is understand what ultimately led to the reason that behavior manifested in it, in it like initially. Uh, what's behind that thing that's might maybe not as visible understand where the, what the source of that is, um, and then work with that. So like for, you know, a simple example might be, um, somebody's really hungry, um, uh, they might not have the, the verbal skills to communicate it. And so maybe, uh, they start, uh, getting angry or frustrated or they hit the table or something mm. like that. They're trying to communicate that they need something. If I, as a support can, figure out, hey, they're hungry, then I can get them some food and that, beha and that behavior no longer needs to be expressed because they got the food. Right. Uh, and then I can continue to build and, and be conscious of ways in which that person's going to try to communicate with me uh, what their needs are around food. And we can even put into, you know, a, put in place structure so that they don't, that they can even communicate more effectively or get them the support they need to communicate around uh, the needs, which is food, not the acting out, for example. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, people, you know, everybody's challenged. We all have impulsivity at some level. Yeah. I think a lot of times um, when you're working with the nerv nervous system, it's kind of an all or nothing system. So once it gets triggered, uh, it goes and you can't get it back. Um, but some, it, everybody's got their, their threshold for when it gets triggered. Right. And so, you know, we definitely have students in, at Maristem who get triggered and, you know, have an outburst or whatever it is in a class. And I think to where you're going, Harry, is ultimately we try to figure out like what led to that yeah. threshold being pushed. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you can get to the bottom of that, I think you can often adjust and figure out what can what can help to um put in place you're talking about an example right before we started um you want to talk share some of those uh oh just that um somebody is having an outburst and you understand why uh you want it but and i'm not remembering exactly what i said but i did have another thing uh so I will add that we are not, by no means, no way how, a mental health podcast. We are <laughs> professionals. So I always just like Good to point. say, yeah. I always just like to give a disclaimer, but yeah. what, and, and I'm not discrediting anyone that has 
neurotypical. So neurotypical is somebody that is just that they're, they're not neurodiverse. So they're not the type of person we're talking about having uh, anxiety. But what I have seen amongst all the people that I've supported and the students at Marist is that they all seem to have anxiety, right? Not everyone with anxiety has neurodiversity or autism, but a lot of the people with autism, neurodiversity, they have um, anxiety. Uh, it's just, it's, it, and some of the anxiety that they have, it's stopping them. We have people with so much anxiety, it's stopping them from moving forward and, and, and it's limiting themselves and, and they're not harming themselves in the way like that's like very dangerous. It's dangerous if for them. It's not gonna hurt them like physically, like they're not gonna take a life and cut themselves. But but it is a it is a um, it's stopping them from doing anything. What would you say about that with anxiety? Like if as you look at the Marston population, you know you see them every day. Yeah, well, I mean, I think just even with COVID, anxiety's been way on the rise. And uh, to me, if you have a compromised nervous system. Um, it's going to be hard to manage anxiety at some level like anxiety can take over mm -hmm. um you know we have our fight or flight system in our that our nervous that's based off of how our nervous system operates in mm -hmm. the sense that you know if something uh challenging or threatening comes into my environment i'm either going to trigger my nervous system to to fight back or to or to run away uh and ultimately like um anxiety is a is maybe a precursor to the to those systems firing or being in the process of of being operational on a fight or flight basis um and so to me uh really at marison i think the biggest thing we try to do is how do we help bring balance and uh like reflective quality to the practice um of of reading or navigating any situation so like anxiety can dictate how i move like hey i'm afraid to talk to that person so i'm not going to talk to that person mm -hmm. uh rather than me being like oh that person looks like somebody i really want to talk to let me go try and talk to them and figure out how to process and, and work beyond what's making me anxious about that situation there's also healthy anxiety which is you know, I see somebody that looks threatening at some level. Um, maybe they're holding a big knife or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, uh, maybe my anxiety is justified in the sense that, you know, maybe I should question whether it's the right move to go and have that, to go and talk to that person. That's true. And I think about it too, like in independent living so in our dorms. Uh, and we are an open campus at Marathon. Just things like that. You do want the person, individual to be aware of the danger of like starting a kitchen fire or you see a suspicious person. But again, I agree with um, you know, that you don't want to take it, Aaron, you don't want to take it to the extreme. Um, when it comes for me helping somebody get a job, oftentimes the anxiety is so much, they put up all these barriers. So the biggest thing is they have a list, the list is 14 pages long of things they won't do in the job. And Again, we're person-centered, so I'm supposed to say, okay, I won't help you with that job because you don't want to work there. But it's very limiting. And so on the one it it goes back and forth. On the one hand, we say, um, work with us, have a two-way street where you work with us. So maybe all of those, you don't want to do half of those things. You don't want to work in customer service. You won't start before noon. The job, you know, you're not a morning person. 
obviously, uh, but maybe work with us. Maybe you're willing to start at 10, this and that. But when they're absolutely refusing, it can be very challenging to help them. And sometimes the job coach, the person here can't, doesn't know what to do. What would you say to that? Yeah, I mean, so I think behavior is a really good thing. So I, like to, we were talking a little earlier and you're, you gave the example of, hey, you know, somebody maybe has an outburst in class and the mm -hmm. teacher figures out it's, uh, there's too much uh, lavender scent in the air. Oh, in the salt like making that. class, yeah. yes, yeah, right? I remember and, that. And that's like really overstimulating and kind of leading to this like, you know, pushing of a threshold where right. I just gotta let, I, I, I haven't figured out the means by which I can say, hey, you know, instructor, like that doesn't smell good. Like, can I go outside or can we do a different scent or can we open up the window so I'm not overstimulated? If I don't know how to communicate that, it's gonna build up until the point where I'm just like, I gotta get out of here. Right. Uh, and, and so you have this like episode, but yeah. it's really uh, something in the environment is there that's making it hard for me to stay present and do, you know, what I'm being asked to do. So I think uh, as an employer, yeah. it's really important to be thinking about those things in their, in their environment and saying, like, what, what can we actually put in place so that the least amount of stimulants are there for an individual to work effectively and not get pushed over their threshold very often if possible? Right. Um, on the other hand, though, there's internal behaviors, I feel like, that are things that I do that I can be responsible for. Yes. Um, like showing up on time, going to bed early. Like that's not on the employer to change. And so to me, I have to ask myself the hard question, but like what be behaviors that I have control of that I can work on in order to uh, make, you know, do things differently, like set a better uh, sleep schedule or. You, you bring know, up absolutely what. For me, this is so. This is interesting. We see a lot of people that have this sleep schedule. So, I've even got to bed very late. Like we all, like what would you say, Aaron, to this? Because we have people that, oh, I went to bed at four a.m. Oh, I went to bed at two a.m. So yes, I'm having trouble. And so you said, if all if they could, um, figure out their schedule to go to bed earlier. But I take it a step farther and I'm like, even if, so even if you, the individual, like, it's just difficult for me because the employer doesn't care that you went to bed at 2 a.m. They still expect you to show up the next day. So yes, if you change your schedule, you would feel better and you would have more energy to get to work. But you still have to get to work irregardless of when you went to bed. How do you sure. deal with the reality? The, the, it's basically the maturity to say, yeah, I screwed up and went to that rock concert last night. I, I was out until 2 a.m. drinking, but I still got to show up to work the next yeah. day. No, that's a good question. I mean, all of us have coping mechanisms, right? right? Like get it, drink a cup of coffee, um, you know, f take a nap at your lunchtime break, um, take a day off. That, you know, that's why we have, you know, ideally works have a sick time or vacation time. Like, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you need to do for yourself um, and make sure that you communicate well around that and proactively. Mm -hmm. Um, but to your point at the end of the day, like when I make a commitment, I'm making a commitment to do something and follow through on doing that something. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, that to me is like, 
long term, it's like you want to get hired, if you want to get a job, if you want to move up in your job, if you want people to trust you, consistency is a big foundational piece to that and being able to show up regardless of you know what you know what your life circumstances have brought you to uh, is a really important skill. We had this come up the other day. We don't give details about people on here because that puts it in a phobia. <laughs> but the, the broader concept is you are making such a good point. So it, 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 you said the ability to just show up and do it and prove to yourself, to others that you can do it. So what does that look like? So does that look like NASA scientists? No. Like we have students, people that I have worked with, but also students that, that, that think that certain jobs are beneath them. Mm. Like they're looking for a higher job whether they have a degree or not, but they haven't proven that they can actually show up, work an eight hour day, go home, do the thing the next day, and do it all over again for five days in a row. And they, but they're turning down jobs left and right because they're like, I could never do that, that's, that's beneath me. Yeah. What would you say to that? Like, they just need to prove themselves, <laughs> first of all. Um, full disclaimer, this is gonna be my personal opinion. Uh, um, and, you know, like, we live in a world where you know, I think a college education can teach you a lot. Um, I think having the piece of paper is really, you know, is beneficial, particularly if you know what you got out of it. But I definitely feel like there's a large push to just go to college. And I don't think everybody knows when they go to college, like what the purpose is or where they're going. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that piece of paper isn't as useful as it initially is told. Um, right. That being said, at the end of the day, a job is usually about doing something uh -huh. and you're really measured on what you can do. Uh, and it, to me, like in any field in the world, um, most people are not going to hand uh, the hardest job or the, the job with the most responsibility over to somebody who's never done anything before. Uh, tap.org www.tapautism.org link to our uh, how do you interview somebody change the interview process make it a skills based interview instead of uh, an interview like me and Aaron would not interview the person they would actually show us how they can do it then that would be to Aaron's point to see if they can actually do the job yeah and to me like if you can show that you can do those basic things uh, you're going to earn the 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 skills or the pot or the respect to show that you can do other things. And oftentimes if you're, if you, if you're consistent and do the basic things, well, you're going to be given opportunities or people are going to see, Oh, you have this capacity to do other things beyond just those basic things. And that will be the, this, the, the place where you can get better. So for example, like my work career, I started working at a food co-op when I was in 11th grade in high school. Oh. I then did uh, landscaping and painting uh, and basically like buildings and grounds work at the school that I went to senior year of high school and freshman year of college. Uh, after that, I worked in a daycare, basically just watching kids on the playground. I worked in an office filing paperwork all day. Um, all of these were not the, necessarily the things that I really loved to do or felt super passionate about, but they gave me skills and they provided money mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that built a, a, a round set of tools that I had that led to me being able to do other jobs. So when I was in college then, uh, I had never done swimming in my life 
and I got hired to be a pool manager. So I hadn't even managed a pool before, but the skills that I had leading up to that led me to be able to figure things out pretty quickly. And so I figured out how to be a pool manager uh, and, and then had, you know, on my resume, some leadership experience and managing people and, and keeping an environment and customer service, right. et cetera. Uh, and so to me, like many, like you got to start somewhere and you got to, to me, you can always try to start really high stakes, but the, the chances of you winning a high stakes game initially are low, right? And you want to, you want to feel confident in yourself. And to me, I think it's really important to get into something that you, you know, you can do and you feel comfortable. Maybe you're even really good at doing it. You feel success in that and that, that success will build confidence and confidence will give you the capacity to keep growing and get those, get to those places that are ultimately our dream or, right. you know, the long shot job or the thing that we're really passionate about. This will go to anyone that any neurotypical, any neurodiverse person, autism person that wants to listen or job seeker that actually wants to listen and hear this. If you want to tune this part out fine, I'm not going to tell you, force you to listen, but especially to the parents and the support network to understand that even if the individual have a degree from college, like if they don't have the social, emotional understanding capacity, whatever the case might be, it won't matter what degree they have. Because if they go into that job, if they had an engineering degree, for example, and they went into an engineering job, but they know skills in how to deal with the manager, it's a useless degree. It's not a useless degree, for, but in this case, it's useless because if they don't know how to deal with the manager, so the best practices for job seekers, giving the manager, not disclosure of autism, but telling the supports that you need to be successful at that job. But if you're always thinking, oh, the manager's out to get me, or we've seen a lot of job seekers lost their job, they didn't actually understand, in my, I, I've spoke to them, I've heard the whole situation, and it seems like they don't understand that maybe part of the reason, or all of the reason, but at least part of the reason they lost their job was their fault, not the manager's fault. And they're wanting to blame the company and this and that. And if you're going in with that mindset, if you're that type of person, or if you just don't understand how to properly work with management, your degree will not matter, is my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the piece of paper will help you get in the door on, you know, like interviews and stuff, yeah. but ultimately it's going to come down to, um, you know, like what you can do. And a big piece of, uh, of navigating is, is being able to do it, is being able to, uh, you know, advocate and speak up and, and communicate with people uh, and also knowing cognitively what you can do. I also, you know, to the defense of, people communicating. I've also experienced individuals who are really good at communicating, but they can't actually do something, right? Absolutely. And so maybe not on Ooh. paper. They It sounds like you can do yeah. all these things when you actually can't. And I'd say like, you know, if you're that type of person, the best thing you can do is say exactly what you can do because then no one's going to come in with some high level expectations. They're going to come in with expectations of exactly what is and not something right. that's projected or you know, theorized. And not, to, and not to scare managers out there, but this is also key. If you do a skills, so in many cases, you might actually decline somebody. See, one of the worst things that I think can happen, Aaron, is that it's a traditional interview where it's like, 
they're going to ask a bunch of questions or whatever. The person has a high-level degree, they're from college, whatever. Somehow they pass the interview. Me and Aaron, and me and Eric are like, me and, we're like shocked that they passed the interview. Like, I can't believe this person passed. Yeah. And a month into the job, they're having a miserable experience. But if you did a skills-based interview with the individual, where they could show you how they do the job you need them to do, sad, but you might find out they didn't get the job and it didn't work out. You would find that out a lot sooner than having to wait three, four months into the job. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it comes back to like the Marisem program. So one of the things that we tried to do is if you look at brain development, again, not a psychologist, just do my reading at some level. Um, it, you know, what I've read of the research, you know, your brain and your frontal lobe don't like, don't even fully connect or, or are developed until, you know, late teens, early 20s, you know, maybe by 28, it's suggested that, you know, it's kind of, you're kind of set. Um, however, there are, you know, studies that suggest that if you keep moving and keep learning, you can keep your brain flexible at some level and, and keep developing neural pathways. Um, so when, but that doesn't start, you know, young children learn from imitation and experiencing their environment and, you know, trying that out and then seeing how it's successful or not, and then continuing to refine that process. And, um, to me, at the end of the day with Maristem, what we're really trying to do is when like a young child gets all these movement experiences through doing, they build a nervous system that ultimately leads them to be able to think more critically down the road as their brain gets to full, fully developed. Um, and in, you know, my experience with neurodiversity at some level, or sometimes these developmental stages don't fully get to manifest to someone's chronological age. And if, if the, if the, if the doing and the movement isn't there initially, they might not ever get to the cognitive capacity, um, or you know, full cognitive capacity that somebody who's got all those developmental stages dialed in at some level might be able to reach. Um, and that's no knock on anybody. That's just what I've observed. Um, and so to me, like when you actually ask somebody to do it, particularly in the neurodiverse, you're starting a process that's going to lead mm -hmm. to them being able to actually cognitively understand it more effectively than if I if if I did a verbal presentation or told them, it's not necessarily going to sink in to action as much as just doing it will. And if you just do it, they're going to be able to understand more uh, and be able to articulate more than if they didn't do it at all. That's absolutely right. Yeah, time. We should probably probably that's, wrap it up. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, what should we talk about next week? I don't know. There's so much here, but one thing is just uh, different things that work. I mean, maybe you'll hear about my story next time. Maybe we'll have a guest, but uh, we do want you to keep tuning in. We'll, we'll get into some of the employers and the successes that they've had uh, with TAP, and uh, we'll get into more details on that. Stay tuned for next week. Yeah, and always if you have questions, you know, reach out, you know, just put them reach out or send us questions. We're happy to discuss certain questions that make sense. That's um, true too. Like we'd love to do a Q&A. So yeah. that could be a whole podcast. Just send us questions and we'll answer them. Right on. You want to take us out, Harry? Thank you. This has uh, been wonderful. Uh, the Voices of the Community.